0: In this podcast, Dr. Gregory W. Mattingly describes how the core symptoms of ADHD, that is, problems with attention, hyperactivity, and impulsivity, present across different phases of life. He then reviews the adverse outcomes associated with untreated ADHD in adolescents and adults, especially in education and academic performance, occupational performance, personal relationships, financial problems traffic violations and accidents increase comorbidity and legal problems. Good afternoon. Uh, this is Greg Mattingly and I'm coming to you from St. Louis, Missouri. Here in St. Louis, I teach the pharmacology classes for the third year medical students at Washington University. My clinical practice at one of the suburbs of St. Louis consists of taking care of both children and adults. Half kids, half adults. I've been in clinical practice 18 years with a focus on attention deficit disorder and mood disorders. you know The topic of the day is how does ADHD present at different places across the age spectrum? How does it look in a teenager? How does it look as a, as a child progresses on to college? And then how does it affect us in our adult lives? So we're gonna kind of walk through that developmental picture of not just young children with ADHD, but what happens during high school, what happens during college, and then how does it affect us in our adult lives? When we look at ADHD, We know there are three core levels of symptoms those symptoms tend to be problems with attention span problems with distractibility and then hyperactivity and impulsivity so attention span hyperactivity impulsivity if you say how do those things affect us throughout our lives well the classic example is the young boy who's hyper in class he's fidgety he's restless he can't sit still what happens to that boy as he ages Well, by the time he's in high school, he's not hyper, he's not running around the room. But then what you tend to find is he still gets bored easy, sitting through a class that he's not interested in, very, very difficult, gets distracted, tends to blurt things out impulsivity. And then in his home life, what you tend to find is it causes disruption with his parents. Mom and dad ask him to do something, he blows up. He can't modulate his emotions. He's trying to focus on homework. He gets distracted, so therefore his grades aren't where they should be. So it doesn't just affect this boy in school, it affects him at home, and in particular, it affects him in his social life. Issues concerning driving, things of that nature. As you are going up a little later in life, and you think about your college student, obviously then you don't have your external support. Your family isn't there helping to kind of modulate what's going on in your life. So you have to get up on your own, you have to get to classes, you have to get yourself to bed in the evening. So it affects not just your home life, but your school life, social issues, including dating, trying to decide whether or not to use drugs or alcohol, and then finally, as we look at adults, really get into issues about how do I manage the day-to-day aspects of my life? How do I keep all the balls in the air? How do I get my kids off to school? How do I make sure I don't forget something as I go to work? And then when I get home in the evening, when I go out with my wife, how do I make sure I still pay attention to her and don't get distracted? As we talk about the topic today, we're going to talk about adolescence We're going to talk about college-age students, and then we're going to talk about adults and talk about some of the various aspects of ADHD and how it impacts their lives. The first thing I'd like to focus on is what's going on neurologically in the brains of children with ADHD. One of my favorite studies is by Dr. Shaw, funded by the National Institute of Health. In Dr. Shaw's study, what he said is, I want to take a look neurologically at children as they grow up from early childhood into their high school years and try to understand what's going on neurologically in their brains. Every three years or so, he did an MRI scan of the child's brain, and he looked at maturation of the cortical layers of the brain. The question is, are there certain areas of the brain that don't develop in ADHD? Is there a big hole in the corpus callosum or the prefrontal cortex? Are there areas that don't develop? Or does the brain develop fairly normally? So the good news from the Shaw study is the brain develops. There are no holes in the brain. There's no areas that don't develop. We don't find connecting tracks that fail to mature. But what you do find, if you look at Dr. Shaw's study, is that there are certain parts of the area of, of the brain that are delayed in development. In particular, the prefrontal cortex, the forehead area of our brain. The dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, on average for children with ADHD, matures about two years and four months later than children that don't have ADHD. So that part of the brain eventually matures, but it's delayed in reaching peak maturation. Now, what does that part of the brain control? The prefrontal cortex gets involved with working memory, distractibility, attention span, and it gets involved with modulating impulsive emotions. A lot of the areas that we know are difficult for our children with ADHD. As you think about that brain, though, as it's maturing. What do you find about the symptoms of ADHD? We know that it's some of the same areas involved for both children and adults with ADHD, but those symptoms morph and change a little bit as the brain matures. And once again, going back in time, the classic example is the young boy who's severely hyperactive, that by the time he's a high school student, he's sitting in classes, he's restless in his lectures, but he's not up running around the room. What's that boy like if you look at him as an adult? What you find is, once again, he's not a a hyperactive adult running around the meeting, but he gets bored in meetings. He interrupts people. One of my patients who's CEO of his own company, he says one of the hardest parts of ADHD is sitting through his board meetings because he gets bored, he starts interrupting people, and has a very hard time modulating his symptoms of ADHD in that type of spectrum. Another one of the landmark studies when you look at the development of ADHD was a study done by Dr. Kessler, It was the National Comorbidity Study. They said, let's take a look at how common ADHD is in adults and compare that to the rates in children, the rates in adolescents, and then some of the developmental studies by Dr. Barkley, where he's looked at young children, age 7 in Milwaukee, and followed them now up to age 30, and saying, how long does ADHD persist? If you look at those two sets of studies, there's a wealth of information. First of all, if you look at Dr. Barkley's study of seven-year-old inner-city children in Milwaukee, what you find is about 80% of them still have ADHD symptoms when they're adolescents. So about 80% of the time, children with ADHD are still having problems when they're teenagers in high school. If you follow them all the way into adulthood, by the time they're 30 years old, what you find is about two-thirds of the children that had ADHD are still having symptoms that cause impairment in their life as adults. So about 80% progress into adolescence and continue to have ADHD, and about two-thirds of children will still have ADHD in their adult lives. When I went through my medical training back about 20 years ago, I wasn't taught to think of ADHD this way. I was taught that ADHD was a disorder of boys, not girls, that you had to have hyperactivity, and that during your teenage years, you grew out of it. So I didn't even think about it is a college disorder or an adult disorder. It's only really been the last five to 10 years that I think we've really understood just how much this can impact adults and that two-thirds of children will still have symptoms in their adult lives. If you then look at Dr. Kessler's study, where they said, let's go out and screen for ADHD using very strict criteria across the country and just say, how common is it? How does it affect people's lives? And what other psychiatric conditions seem to go along with ADHD? What they found in the National Comorbidity Study is that 4.4% of adults in America are still having symptoms of ADHD and meet criteria for having ADHD, 4.4%. To put that in perspective, schizophrenia affects 1% of the population. Bipolar disorder affects about 2 to 2.5% of the population. Adult ADHD at 4.4% is more prevalent than both schizophrenia and bipolar added together. So It's much more prevalent than we used to realize, and it's something that we used to miss. Neurologically, we know something about what's going on in kids with ADHD, but how about adults? Eventually, the prefrontal cortex seems to mature, but now let's take a look at the brain functionally. What's going on in the brain of an adult that causes them to have difficulties focusing, difficulties to staying on track? Dr. Bush and the neuroimaging group at Harvard have done some wonderful studies using functional MRIs where they stick adults in the scanner and they ask them to count the items on a the screen. The, the name for this test is called the Stroop. The example would be, I count the number three, but it's on the screen four times. So I count three, 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 three. I'm having to disregard the fact that I'm counting the word three, but the answer is really four because it's on the screen four times. I then have a slide with a different number up there, and I have to count it, and it just goes on and on and on. It's monotonous, it's repetitive, and there's a built-in distraction. If you do that test for normal adults, it activates the anterior cingulate and then the prefrontal cortex. The anterior cingulate gets hot. Those nerve cells there have to start firing to be able to count those things on the screen and not get distracted. What's fascinating, if you take adults with ADHD in the scanner and give them the exact same task, what you find is they can't activate the anterior cingulate. That part of the brain does not activate. And if you look at the images by Dr. Bush, what you find is instead of activating the anterior cingulate right in the very upper middle part of the brain, instead these adults with ADHD have to activate pathways in the temporal parietal lobes to get information up to the prefrontal cortex. What do we know about those pathways in the temporal parietal lobe? They're not as efficient, and there's more background noise there, auditory processing, visual processing. So if you think about our adults with ADHD, what happens is they can't activate the pathways neurologically that should help them to focus, to stay on track. Instead, they have to use pathways that are secondary pathways that aren't as efficient. And there's more background noise, so there's more distraction in those pathways. The group at Harvard then said, okay, when we use stimulants, what are we doing neurologically in the brain? There was a wonderful study published by them at the Archives of General Psychiatry in 2008. And what you see is when we use stimulants, neurologically, we're jump-starting the anterior cingulate that part of the brain that should have activated to begin with neurologically stimulates jumpstart that part of the brain so that we can start conveying information through the preferential paths that work better to get it up to the prefrontal cortex. Let's think about the symptoms of ADHD in our adolescents and adults. If they can't activate those neural pathways to the prefrontal cortex, what happens is, you know, it's hard to stay organized. It's hard to stay focused. I have difficulty modulating impulsive emotions so something makes me frustrated and I blow. It's not that I'm depressed. It's not that I'm having obsessive-compulsive symptoms. Those are different parts of the brain. But these impulsive emotions is what a lot of our adults with ADHD tend to struggle with. In the adult spectrum, what we think of is kind of working memory, multi-step processes. So planning ahead, prioritizing things. Before medicines, they talked about the way they had to get through their emails is they had to open them all on their computer screen. And then they would go through them one by one as they were all open. Now, on medicines, they're able to start with the first email, wrap it up, finish it, and then move on to the next one. They couldn't do that before. They had to visually just have all the emails open. They'd start one, they'd get distracted, they'd go to another one. Now they're able to do a multi-step process and work their way through it because the brain is neurologically working better. What are the symptoms of ADHD in adults? Dr. Milstein, in 1997, published one of the first articles I remember reading about it. It was in the Journal of Attention Disorders. And what we see is that adults with ADHD, 93% of them have inattentive symptoms, so the vast majority. Only about half, 58%, endorsed hyperactive impulsive symptoms. So the primary driver for a lot of your adults tend to be focus, concentration, less likely to have the hyperactive symptoms that we see in our younger children. A more modern study that I'm a part of, one of the large stimulant trials, and when we look at the subtypes of ADHD, for adults with ADHD, what we found is 70 to 75% had the combined subtype where they have inattentive symptoms and then they have some hyperactive impulsive symptoms. 20 to 25% had the primarily inattentive symptoms where they didn't have much of the hyperactive impulsive stuff. And then by far the least common subtype in adults was the primarily hyperactive subtype where it was only about 3 to 4% of adults. So that combined subtype tends to be the most common type we deal with mainly inattentive subtype is the second most common, and then having purely hyperactive impulsive subtype, very uncommon in adults. It was a study done by Dr. Steele, published in Clinical Therapeutics in 2006, and Dr. Steele said, let's take a look at the outcomes of people with ADHD. Let's take a look at age-matched controls of people that have ADHD. Let's take a look at their academic performance. Let's take a look at substance abuse. Let's take a look at these functional issues in their lives, not just their score on an ADHD scale, but how are people functioning. And what did Dr. Steele find is that children with ADHD and high school students with ADHD were much more likely to have repeated the grade. About 30 to 35 percent of our population with ADHD had to repeat a grade compared to only about 10 percent of children without ADHD. Getting through high school, about 20 to 25 percent of kids with ADHD were not completing a high school education they had to get a ged or other things compared to a much lower number of about five to ten percent the general population teenage pregnancy which is one of the things as a clinician that i worry about much higher substance abuse car accidents being fired from a job as an adult being incarcerated were all more common dr barkley did a study called the UMass study. In Massachusetts, he looked in his clinic population, compared a bunch of ADHD patients to age-matched controls and to a clinic population of people that had other psychiatric issues. About 60% of adults with ADHD had been suspended at one point or another as they went through their academic career. College graduation, what you found is only about 5% of his population back then was actually completing a four-year degree. And having been fired from work, it was much more common among the ADHD patients versus the non-ADHD. We all make mistakes in life. We all maybe drive too fast. We all maybe lose a job because we do something kind of, you know, not considered or don't manage our time well when when we're young. People with ADHD tend to impulsively make the same mistake more than once. So if you look at how many jobs have you worked in the last 10 years, that number for adults with ADHD It's about two and a half times higher than the number of jobs that somebody without ADHD has held. How many times have you been reprimanded? How many times have you been written up? How many times have you shown up late for work? All of those numbers tend to be higher in our adults with ADHD because they have difficulty with time management, they have difficulties with impulsivity. A great study was done by the World Health Organization. They said, let's take a look across the world, and then the US in particular, and say, how does ADHD affect the workplace? In this study published in the Occupational Environment Medicine, ADHD adults missed 10 more days per year of work because of problems with time management, things of that nature. Their overall work efficiency was decreased by about 20% compared to adults that didn't have ADHD. And so the World Health Organization said, you know, this is one of the top 10 causes of missing work and reduced work efficiency right now in the world and in the United States. Financial impulsivity. If you go back to Dr. Barkley's article, where he talks not just about you know missing work, but what's happening in the financial lives of people with ADHD, what you find is not having any retirement savings. Adults with ADHD, 71% stated they hadn't saved for retirement. Impulsive buying, going out and charging too much on your credit cards, losing your utilities. A third of adults with ADHD in his study and had their utilities turned off at least once because of failure to pay their bills on time. I'll talk to my college students about watch your credit cards, only one credit card at most. I want you to be honest with your family about the balance each month because impulsive buying is one of the things that will get you in trouble throughout your life. If you look at one of the top five causes of morbidity in people with ADHD, in that top five, it's motor vehicle accidents. Dr. Barkley who is a mentor to me. His brother died in a motor vehicle accident. His brother had ADHD and was not taking his medicines. If you go back to the number of accident claims as a child, there are problems with impulsive accidents, so skateboarding and breaking an arm, about twice as likely for kids with ADHD. If you then think about, okay, what happens on a motor vehicle, driving a motorcycle, driving a car, what you tend to find is we all tend to have one wreck, but the chance of having had three or more wrecks in your life as an adult, only 9% of adults, in America reported they'd had three or more wrecks. 26% of our ADHD adults have had three or more wrecks in their life. Once again, they tend to make the same impulsive mistakes more than once. So motor vehicle accidents, one of the top causes of morbidity and mortality among our ADHD patients, and it's one of the reasons when I come to clinical treatment, I try to be a fan of treatment seven days a week, as long as we can throughout the day, to get as much coverage as possible for some of these issues that really impair our lives. The next issue, that can really be an issue is sexual impulsivity. That's on my top five list as well. The number of sexual partners for children and adults with ADHD is dramatically higher than the ones that don't have ADHD. In Dr. Barkley's study, number of sexual partners for these adults with ADHD who are aged 27 to 30, the average adult with ADHD had had 14 sexual partners compared to only five adults without ADHD they had three times the number of sexual partners. The number that had gone through divorces, much, much higher, two to three times higher. To study, When he looked at these kids that he had seen at age seven, and he had just followed them up to age 21 at this point, sexual intercourse really wasn't that much different. Kids with ADHD back then had sexual intercourse one year earlier than kids without ADHD. But if you looked at the number of sexual partners by age 21, it was 19 for the ADHD kids, it was 7 for the non adhd If you look at sexually transmitted diseases, three to four times more likely among the ADHD kids. Why? Because they were not only having sex, but they're having sex impulsively and not taking precautions. And then finally, teenage pregnancies. If you think about those issues that during your teenage years that can get you off track, and here's the five things I teach my teenagers and their families. It's driving and getting yourself or somebody else hurt. It's getting pregnant or getting somebody else pregnant when you're not prepared for the outcome getting involved with drugs or alcohol, and then finally, getting involved with the legal system. Those five issues, just one impulsive night, can get you in big, big trouble. In Dr. Barkley's study, by age 21, he found a 37 times higher accused risk of having a teenage pregnancy among his ADHD kids versus age-matched kids out of the same clinic who didn't have ADHD. These kids with ADHD weren't prepared to become parents. Fifty-four percent of the time, these teenagers that got pregnant had their parental custody rights taken away, and the kids were being raised by a grandparent, by a foster family, by Division of Family Services, so devastating effects on the lives of these kids. How does impulsivity affect us in our adult relationships? Dr. Biederman did a great study. It was a clinic population of 500 people. They called over the phone. They assessed them. And then 500 people they assessed over the phone with that didn't have ADHD. The adults with ADHD having been divorced was twice as high compared to those without ADHD. How do you feel about the quality of your relationships? Adults that didn't have ADHD 70% of the time said, I feel good about my relationships. Less than half of the adults with ADHD stated the same thing. The majority of adults with ADHD said, I'm not happy with my relationships. I think I have difficulties in them. They're hard for me. Fitting in well with peers, very similar. How well do you do with making friends? Only 40% of the adults with ADHD said they fit in well with their peers, with their friends. And this really gets down to kind of the heart of what it is it makes us who we are. You know, it's one thing to have a few more jobs. It's another thing to have a few more fender benders. But if I have a hard time staying married, if I have a hard time getting along with my friends, and I feel like my relationships aren't rewarding, that gets to the heart of what's going on. And if you look at these adults with ADHD, social impulsivity drives a lot of the long-term negative consequences. Burning through relationships, I meet people, I make friends easily, but then I blow through relationships. And what you find over time is a lot of those adults develop secondary problems with anxiety disorders and depression. And I think a lot of that is because of the failures of relationships and some of the financial problems they wind up getting. One of the next big topics is substance abuse. Children with ADHD have a much higher rate of starting smoking they tend to start smoking earlier. Their chance of smoking is much higher. Going back to one of Dr. Biederman's studies, nicotine dependence was almost three times higher in the kids with ADHD versus those that didn't when you measured them as young adults. Alcohol dependence was two and a half times higher for young adults with ADHD compared to young adults that didn't have ADHD. And drug dependency issues, about two times higher for the adult, young adults with ADHD versus those that didn't have ADHD. One of the concerns when i first went into practice is okay we know these kids with adhd as they become teenagers college students and adults have a higher rate of substance abuse but do stimulants make that worse dr biederman and his group at harvard did a study that was published in pediatrics back in 1999 it was kind of the seminal study that started us thinking differently about using stimulants for these kids and what he found is if you look in his clinic population a group of kids who had been unmedicated for adhd versus kids who had been medicated, he followed them over five years, and the mean age when he followed them up was age 16. So he started seeing them age 11. The group of kids who had not gone on stimulants, their rate of substance abuse was about 32%. The group of kids that went on stimulants for treatment, their rate of substance abuse was about 10 to 12%, which was only a couple of percent higher than the controls that didn't have ADHD. And using medicines and getting these kids treated seems to make a difference, and overall it drops the rate of substance abuse by about two-thirds, from over 30% down to around 10%. If you look at Dr. Kessler's National Comorbidity Study, published American Journal of Psychiatry in 2006, and you say, what are the comorbidities of adult ADHD? How does it affect us emotionally? What you find is there are higher rates of depression, there are higher rates of anxiety, What's the single condition that has the highest comorbidity with ADHD? For adults, it's anxiety, and in particular, it's social anxiety. 29% of our adults with ADHD meet criteria for social anxiety. And I think, once again, it's failed relationships. I tend to be socially impulsive, so over time, I start getting anxious about those situations. 19.6% of adults with ADHD meet criteria for intermittent explosive disorder. So what is that? It's the same thing that gets our kids in trouble that have oppositional defiant tendencies. In response to mom or dad saying, pick up your room, the kid blows up. In response to having to wait in a long line, the kid blows up. In adults with ADHD, 19.6% of them still have similar issues. Where If they have to wait in traffic, what happens? They get upset. They can't modulate it. Next thing you know, they're getting involved in road rage or shouting things out their windows. They shouldn't in response to social situations. They get mad about things they shouldn't. They blow up. If you look at Dr. Barkley's data about ADHD in adults, what does the science say? It's a book he published a couple of years ago. If you look at the areas of life that are impaired for adults with ADHD, what you find is 90% of adults with ADHD are having disruption in their home life. A very similar number, 89% are having disruption in their work life. And about 77%, so three-fourths, will tell you that ADHD is disrupting my social life. ADHD is not just a school or work issue. It affects us at home with our families, it affects us in our day-to-day life with our friends, and it affects us at school. So school and work, social, home, and then emotional. What are some of the areas that I deal with for high school students? The academic struggles that a lot of my kids with ADHD have exacerbated by problems with disorganization. The third thing that a lot of our teenagers start to pick up is kind of a poor self image. I'm the kid who's not doing well in school. I'm the kid who's maybe not as smart as my friends. I'm kind of the knucklehead in the class. So those are the three core issues I thought of as far as high school students. How does that affect them? Well, we know higher rates of smoking, driving accidents we talked about being much higher, getting involved with alcohol and drugs two to three times more likely. One of the ones I think we tend to forget about was impulsive sexual behavior and impulsive relationships. If you look at the rate of high school failure, not getting through high school, it's about three times higher for our kids with ADHD versus those that don't have ADHD, and then finally getting involved with the legal system, which is probably the worst of all of these outcomes. Well, how about college students? All of a sudden, these kids for the first time in their life don't have external structure around them. I don't have a mom. I don't have a dad who helps to tell me to get up in the morning and go to classes. So all of a sudden, I have to create that external structure for myself, and for a lot of our kids in college, that's hard. Time management issues, waiting until the deadline to try to hand in the homework, not realizing I've got too much to get done, and so I get overwhelmed and I shut down. And then finally, social impulsivity, out at a party, driving, sexually, controlling my temper, all of those areas of social impulsivity are the inner issues these kids struggle with. How does that affect their lives? A lot of my college students, they get their sleep cycles reversed. They start staying up all night, sleeping all day. That's a key issue that a lot of our college students have to deal with, and we as clinicians need to help them. Be consistent with your sleep cycles. Get yourself to bed on time. Have good sleep hygiene, those things we know that help all of us, but especially our kids with ADHD. Missing classes. I think getting your sleep cycles messed up and then missing classes is where many of our kids get themselves in trouble. So I tell them, you've got to get yourself in bed, and no matter how tired you are the next day, You've got to get to class. If you start missing classes, what happens? These kids get academically overwhelmed, and then over time the anxiety kicks up, and they shut down. The last two things when I thought about the college-age group was substance abuse and then money management issues. A lot of my college kids come out of, sc- out of college already with tens of thousands of dollars of credit card debt because they impulsively buy things. They don't plan. I just saw a kid who went on vacation with his student loan money. They go out and impulsively spend it and don't think about the long-term consequences. Finally, for adults, why do people with adult ADHD come in to see me? What are their problems? A lot of them, it's cognitive issues. So I put down working memory as my first thing. Working memory, this ability to multitask, to think through the different steps of what I have to do to get something done, the ability to do one email and then think about the next one and prioritize those things. And that's a task that involves that prefrontal cortex. Time management, committing to too much and not getting it done. The third issue I thought about for adults was an impulsive lifestyle, driving too fast, being a little bit reckless, enjoying things like gambling and things like that that can be impulsive, novelty-seeking. My adults with ADHD, those are struggles. How does that affect their lives? Going back to Dr. Barkley and his brother, accidental injuries and driving, one of the big long-term negatives for adults with ADHD. Disrupted sleep cycles. If you look at adults with ADHD two-thirds meet criteria for a sleep disorder. They have a hard time shutting off their mind. They lay in bed for a half hour to an hour. They tend to sleep about six and a half hours on average. And if you ask them, how was your sleep, they'll say, it wasn't very restorative. I still wish I had more. So disrupted sleep cycles is common for adults with ADHD. Psychiatric comorbidity, as we talked about earlier, and going back to Dr. Kessler's national comorbidity study, it's the rule rather than the exception. 87% of adults with ADHD have at least one psychiatric comorbidity, anxiety being the most common, then depression, substance abuse, and once again, 19.6% have problems with their temper to the point where they meet intermittent explosive disorder criteria. Unhealthy lifestyles. If you think about kids with ADHD, they tend to be skinny. They're thin. What do we look like as adults with ADHD? Adults with ADHD in general are overweight and if you look at most of them, when they come into an ADHD trial or come into a survey, they meet criteria for mild obesity. And if you look at them, they impulsively eat, they don't watch their diet, they don't go see their doctor as well as they should, they smoke too much, and their cholesterol in general by age 30 is higher than age match controls. Their weight is higher than age match controls. The last time they went and had a physical exam, is dramatically decreased compared to age-matched controls that didn't have ADHD. So it's just an unhealthy lifestyle. Financial problems, money management issues, partially due to having difficulties maintaining consistent employment, but also just not managing your money well is one of the struggles for our people with ADHD. And finally, I think the core issue that a lot of our adults with ADHD face is relationship problems. Marital issues, they make their spouse feel like they don't care about them because they get bored. They blow up with their kids. Their kids get angry and start feeling like, Dad doesn't love me. They have a hard time maintaining relationships. And I think that, more than anything else, can be devastating for some of my adults with ADHD. In summary, I think one of the hard things about ADHD for our college-age students and our adults is we miss it a lot. Kids are at home. They get picked up. By college age, they go off on their own. They stop getting treatment. And with adults with ADHD, what you find is only about 1 in 10 are currently being treated. About 90% are drifting around out there in their lives, having problems with their relationships, having problems at work, having problems as a parent, having problems with disorganization, and only 1 in 10 are getting treatment. Treatment makes a dramatic difference. And so I would urge you to learn to screen for this. When I get ADHD right, people come back a month later thinking I walk on water because you make a dramatic difference in people's lives.